ישיר משה ובני ישראל את השירה הזאת לאדוני ויאמרו לאמור Then, אז, אז ישיר In that moment, משה and the Israelites sang this song to God So begins our shir, our song that's at the center of this week's story The shir that infuses this whole Shabbat with song and gives it its name Shabbat Shira But what is this as? What is this particular moment? When is it that the Israelites lift up their voices and begin to sing? So there's a traditional perspective that says that the Israelites, we saw the miracle, we crossed the sea safely to the other side, we exhaled, and with tremendous gratitude, we lifted our voices and began to sing. But I'm actually drawn to a different reading. It's in a midrash where the rabbis understand this as, this particular point in time, a little bit differently. It's in the depths of the night, in the darkness before dawn, and we begin to march sleepily and defiantly out of Egypt, out of Mitzrayim, out of slavery, and we do it with a sense of chipazon, It's a mix of disorganized, frenetic energy and elation. We leave with booty and with strength, and we leave as free people. God lights our way. In a pillar of fire, God takes us on a circuitous route via Yam Suf, the Sea of Reeds. But as we approach the seashore, we hear an ominous sound. Cue ominous sound. Okay. <laughs> 
we lift our eyes, which until now have only focused on the elation of our exit and on the pillar of fire leading our way. But now we look behind us in the dim light of dawn and we see legions upon legions of Egyptians, cavalry, chariots, steadily approaching us. And we crumble. We cry out to Moshe, there weren't enough graves in Egypt? We were really happy there, thank you very much. We were serving Pharaoh, we had good jobs, and we would really have preferred to stay there instead of dying on the shores of the sea. In the midst of this chaotic scene, Moshe actually yells at the Israelites. Yells at them saying, be quiet. <laughs> be still. God will fight on your behalf. But wait, our surety, this pillar of fire that we've been following has suddenly disappeared from our view. Moshe lifts his staff. It doesn't happen suddenly, this splitting, by the way. Like, Moshe lifts the staff, and then God sends this east wind that begins to blow without ceasing until it subdues the force of the sea and peels apart two walls of water between which the Israelites step onto dry land in the middle of the sea. We begin to walk, but once again, we're in a narrow place. We're in an ominous corridor, not able to see beyond the walls of water. All around us, what we can hear is cries and chaos and drowning. It is here, as at this moment in the middle of the sea, that we lift our voices and we sing. She But what does it mean to sing in the middle? Not from a place of safety or for respite, but in the thick of danger. So for the Hasidic rabbi, Tzemach Hashem Litzvi, singing in the middle is about faith. He says, if the singing followed the miracle, then the singing is the result of the miracle itself. But when we sing before the event, with no miracle in sight, 
We sing out of our source of faith. And this act of faith, this singing as if all the miracles had actually already taken place, this becomes the miracle. Or maybe, as Basia Schechter said to me earlier this week, the song is what actually parts the sea. <laughs> I believe that faith, not necessarily belief, but faith, helped to inspire the song. But there was something else as well. Dr. Aviva Zornberg says, this song is an expression of the human situation of being in the middle, of being full of fear, with a sense of life and death in the balance. It is a song that human beings sing in the face of mortality. The song becomes a different song. It's a song of human beings at the edge between life and death, celebrating life, but at the edge. This is not a confident, glorious, full-throated song. This is not, we have full faith, the miracle is around the corner song. This is more of a, we have faith and we are terrified and we have no idea what's going to happen next song, which maybe makes it the most courageous kind of song that there is. And that reminds me of a story. So, are there any Shostakovich fans here? Yes, okay, great. So Shostakovich was a 20th century composer of classical music in Soviet Russia. Now try to imagine a man who had been told by Stalin's henchmen that his music had become out of favor. And if he doesn't compose something new and pleasing, he will be sent to Siberia or to his death. It was 1937, and is told that Shostakovich sat at his writing desk composing his fifth symphony with his suitcase packed by his side, ready for them to come and take him away. The symphony was first performed to thunderous applause, a half an hour standing ovation. The government particularly loved the final four minutes of the piece. <laughs> In the last movement, the horns sing triumphant victory of the motherland, and the string instruments jubilantly welcome them with this one single A note that they repeat over and over and over really fast. It sounds kind of like this. It's not going to sound good when I sing it. Yum 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 So you hear the kind of martial sound. It sounded a little Yiddish when I just sang it. Okay. Um, so. But when Shostakovich's friend, Rostropovich, first conducted the piece, he conducted it from a place of knowing the composer, and he conducted the final four minutes quite differently, at half the speed. Now, instead of the victory march, the song cried out from this place of anguish. The violins sawed away relentlessly at one A note, creating this impenetrable wall which the despairing horns crashed up against. Shostakovich was singing from the middle of the sea, and it's as if he's trying with this piece to part the waters. But let's come back to the Israelites. We were in the middle of the thick of things, in the middle of the sea, surrounded by destruction, and instead of becoming paralyzed when we couldn't perceive God, we sang. We willed God's presence into our midst. Ze Eli, that's my God. 
We sang, putting one foot before the other and proclaimed the God that we needed to see. Left foot. This is my God who I will enshrine, the God of my Father who I will exalt. Right foot. Your right hand, O God, shatters the foe. Left foot. Mi chamocha ba'elim Adonai, mi chamocha nedar ba'kodesh. Instead of allowing fear or Moshe to silence us, we point towards the future. We manifest what we most deeply want with our mouths open and our lungs strong. Talk about the power of positive thinking. The Israelites manifested their future. They sang themselves from victims to the narrators of their own story. In our own moments of doubt and fear, individually or collectively, when we don't feel like we have a voice, when the throat closes and the sound dries up, how do we, like the Israelites, push through the fear and defiantly lift our voices? Which brings me to Romamu. We are a community that comes together in joy and in struggle, but always in song. We sing from places of faith, as well as from fear and anguish. We come together from the travails of our weak, sometimes mundane, sometimes glorious. Some of us perhaps feel like we are actually slaves to our work. But we walk together, lifting our voices and holding each other in song. And this act of singing, it affects our chemistry. It nudges and sometimes transforms our stuck places. It moves us. In Hebrew and in Arabic, the word for a musical scale is makam or makom, place. The act of singing, the vibrations we feel in our bodies, the below the verbal sounds, they move us to a different emotional place. In our generation of iPods and sounds compressed through microphones and headsets, which I greatly appreciate, there is a power in hearing one's own voice. Rabbi David spoke two weeks ago about how the act of listening can transform the speaker and lift her up. Here, the act of singing and of hearing yourself sing transforms the davener. Hear your own voice as you pray. The rabbis understood this power and decreed that when chanting the Shema, you must sing it loud enough to hear yourself. Back to the sea. Sometimes we sing from that place of gratitude, from release and redemption from the shore on the other side of the sea. And sometimes we sing from the thick of it, from the darkness. A midrash teaches that when a psalm begins with the word, le David mizmor, to David a psalm, King David, the mythic author of our psalms, had just been bowled over by revelation. It had come to him, the Shekhinah, the, the indwelling presence of God had rested upon him, and the song just poured out. But just so, when the psalm begins, Mizmor le David, David wasn't quite in the same place. He couldn't feel the inspiration or the possible redemption on the other side. He was stuck. What he did was he opened his mouth and he began to sing anyway. And from there the inspiration and the redemption would come. So I want to bless us that wherever we're standing, on the far side of the sea or right smack in the middle of the sea, that we will lift our voices together in, as a community, higher and higher, and we'll sing a shir chadash, 
a holy new song. Oh, see the Zimrat Yah. 